This podcast channel is about you, successful international entrepreneurs, successful expats, successful investors, sponsored by HCJ Contacts. All right. Good afternoon a windy rainy afternoon here in portugal my name is darren joseph from hj.tax with a team that seeks to demystify the sometimes confusing world of cross-border taxation for private clients and today we have the honor and the privilege of having a conversation with the one the only leonardo marquez dos santos leonardo please could you introduce yourself thank you very much for having me darren um i'm I'm a tax lawyer based in Portugal, partner of Miranda and Associates, also tax law and international tax law professor here at uh, Portuguese Catholic University. And that's it. Okay, I'm, wonderful. Uh, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I just want to jump in because a question on everybody's mind, the 800-pound gorilla in the room is NHR. What's going on with NHR? Can you help uh, us understand? Only good things. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, so what happened was um, yeah. uh, approximately two, one or two weeks before the proposal, the budget proposal, the prime minister went, uh, gave an interview and uh, to CNN, and he just uh, said that he was going to end the NHR program, and he seemed to have delivered to some extent with that promise. So the uh, budget was presented to Parliament in the, the October tenth, according to the current wording of the proposal um there is uh it's not, it's not a full stop to the program but it's uh pretty much an end as we know it i say it's not a full stop because um because the program may still apply in certain with a narrow very very narrow scope uh for instance uh, professors researchers may still benefit to an extent of the program uh, but to the best of our knowledge, so according to the wording of the proposal, the program as we know it will end in December 31st. So what to what what we know, what it results clear from the wording of, of the proposal is that whomever changes tax residency until the end of the year will still be eligible for the regime and the regime will apply until the end of the 10 years. Uh, if the, the residency is not changed or at least if you're not eligible according to the residency criteria, uh, you may not make it. So there is a grandfathering clause that will that will uh, uh, allow the application of the regime for a period of 10 years, but it's, it's uh, after we don't know. I just want to stress that we don't know because of one thing. Um, the government has the majority in the parliament, so if the government wants to approve the proposal as it is, uh, it will. So it's, uh, it's the end. But I've been uh, listening to a lot of uh, chatter and a lot of talks and uh, by consultants, by politicians, by uh, CEOs of big companies. So not all people is related to tax or, or not all people may, may, may have an interest in the continuation of the regime from a business standpoint. But a lot of people are saying, well, first of all, the regime is not to blame for the housing problem in Portugal. Maybe I should have started with that. 
the end of the program, yeah. according to the Prime Minister, is based yeah. on on their uh, on their opinion that the NHR is responsible for the current housing problem that we have. Housing mm-hmm. problem is, in my opinion, mostly in big city centers, not mm-hmm. in all, uh, not not entire country. So a lot of people saying, well, first of all, this is not true. It's a matter of opinion. I'm I'm not going to question that. But a lot of people are saying, well, there's a huge problem with with the end of the program, which is to attract talents. Our personal income tax rate is uh, one of the highest in Europe. So we will not be able to attract talent to Portugal, individuals and investments to Portugal by using the standard regime. So even people and former state secretaries that do not, state secretaries of tax affairs that do not like, do not have a particular uh, sympathy for the program say, well, this may be necessary. And because all of these voices are seem to be defending the program, I still have hopes, but I cannot just, uh, I cannot guarantee anything or, or anything like that. But at least they, I have hopes that there will be some changes uh, in Parliament because that can still exist. This is just mm-hmm. a proposal that will be discussed and approved by the Parliament. So uh, who knows? Maybe we, we will still have some form of, uh, of NHR. Uh, mm-hmm. In my opinion, I mean, there is a matter of opinion on the benefits um, mm-hmm. of the regime. But one thing for me seems clear. That is, you should not stop putting into a program that was in force for more than 10 years, mm-hmm. that was, um, for all intents and purposes, stable. Why was mm-hmm. it stable? Because it survived uh, several different governments from, political, from different political parties. But also mm-hmm. because even this year, there was a proposal to end the mm-hmm. program that was uh, rejected by the party, which is the, by the government party. So it seemed mm-hmm. like something that would have would be would be stable. So you should not put mm-hmm. an end to a program like this uh, from October to December. So if you mm-hmm. if indeed the program is is going to end, there should be at least a transitional period uh, of maybe one year. So a lot of people that uh, have made their planning that the NHR for those that are not familiar with the regime entails a change of tax residency to Portugal. This mm-hmm. is not artificial. People will have to, to buy a house, rent a house, and move to Portugal. So there are personal issues like uh, they want to bring their kids, but they, their kids cannot leave school in the middle of a school year. There are issues with visas that are taking mm-hmm. some time. There are people that, um, I, I have people, I know people that sold their main houses and were about to start the search in Portugal. So mm-hmm. there are like a lot of personal um, decisions and a lot, of, a lot of personal aspects of the regime mm-hmm. that won't, uh, uh, that, that are not compatible with the change within two months or three months. So it should be at least postponed until mm-hmm. the end of 2024. But mm-hmm. this okay. is all we know. Other, than, other mm. than that, it's just mere speculation. Mm. Okay, gotcha. But as is where we are right now, so we're, everyone who's listening to this in the future, so this is uh, October the 24th, 2023. So this is the situation as of today. So if you already have NHR, you'd be grandfathered in. If you do not, you have up until the end of the year to move to Portugal. And that's an important point. It's not just going on the website and getting a NIF. You have to physically become tax resident by the yeah. end of the year. Mm-hmm. 
You have to become and, tax residents. Yes. Go ahead. Now, to post the question, post the question, because. Right. So, and, and to be clear, because again, like you have been listening to different discussions in different quarters from people who may or may not be qualified to make comments. So I, I just want to be clear that you have to make meaningful steps. So you can qualify into tax residence, you know, for those who are not uh, fully aware by the day's test. But by now, if you're not here, you're probably too late to make that. So it'll be probably the center of vital interest or the center of life test. So you need to make certain, you know, certain meaningful steps, which can be interpreted by the tax office to show that you have moved here with the intent to remain, to make Portugal the center of your life. Am I correct in saying this? Well, I, I think if we could, we could can discuss a little bit this. We have two main residency criteria, as yeah. many countries do. Mm -hmm. uh, first is obviously the time spent in Portugal, 183 days. If you haven't uh, started that count, <laughs> By now, you won't be able to make that test. Yeah. But th there is a second, let's say, main criteria, which is to have an habitual abode, to, to, mm -hmm. to have a, a house available to you in Portugal. House mm -hmm. available does not need to be your property. You may rent it. Mm -hmm. But it has to be a house available to you that you can use mm -hmm. currently, that you intend to use currently as your habitual abode. Mm -hmm. uh, there is an intention element there that should be mm -hmm. assessed by external evidence. So in non-pathological situations, the way to show that you intend to use a house in Portugal as your habitual abode is simply to declare that before the tax authorities. Going to a tax office or doing remotely through the tax authorities' website and say, mm -hmm. I have this house here. Here, here is the lease or the public deed mm -hmm. of acquisition. It is a lease of over one year. It is duly registered. And I want to set my address here. And that's it. And, and so two nuances. First, we do need, you, you were saying you need to be physically here in Portugal. I think your uh, understanding of the, the requirement is accurate because what the law mm -hmm. says is that 193 days, but even if you stay for less time, but there is also an element of presence in Portugal. So, so, so there should be a presence here. You, mm -hmm. you will still be a considered resident. If you have that house available to you that you intend to use as the beach of the boat. So presence and change your tax residency. Um, it doesn't, you, you, you need more than an if. It's completely mm -hmm. accurate because we have two sorts of needs if you want. A non-resident need that you use to purchase a house, to lease an apartment, to buy a, a, mm -hmm. a car. Mm -hmm. And then we have to change tax residency. And that mm -hmm. is what is required until the end of the year. Mm -hmm. The application for the NHR can, in my opinion, be done until March 2024, provided mm -hmm. that you have changed residencies until the end of the year. Now, you, you've mentioned mm -hmm. Center of Vital Interests. That mm -hmm. uh, that's, uh, obviously remits us to a, an international tax law concept and to the tiebreaker. Mm -hmm. My understanding is that the NHR is a domestic regime. So in order yeah. to qualify, you have to meet the domestic requirements. And the domestic requirements, uh, will still apply even if you don't survive the central vital interests test. So if you're mm -hmm. really considered a resident in Portugal, but also in another country, I would say that mm -hmm. you still meet the residency requirement here and mm -hmm. you're entitled to the NHR. And here is something that we need to think uh, carefully for the future because mm -hmm. as long as you are granted the regime, you change residency, mm -hmm. you're granted with the regime, you can leave the country. And right. if you change your tax residency 
from Portugal to another country, you'll mm -hmm. still you will still be eligible for the regime when you come back. So you have it for 10 years. So if you qualify mm -hmm. and then you leave Portugal, you will still have the regime for the next nine years. So this is mm -hmm. something that we can think uh, about um, for the future. Um, what I'm expecting mm -hmm. is a lot of dual residency issues because people... Mm -hmm. Because there is no time to plan, there are countries that do not uh, speak exactly. flexible here. Yeah. We mm -hmm. do, mm -hmm. so you'll be resident as of the moment you arrive. And so if you mm -hmm. arrive now, from October to the end of year, but if you don't, uh, if if you come from a country where there is no split, at least until the end of the year, uh, I'm expecting a lot mm -hmm. of dual residency uh, issues. Right. And and I, I forgive me. I just want to drill a bit more into that second concept: this the center of habitual abode, center of life test. So, is it that the Portugal law says tax residence is triggered in one of two ways: a days test or a uh, place of habitual abode, or is the place of habitual abode a way of evidencing seven uh, center of life? Or is it only, so for example, I'll give you a scenario. Someone is rushing. They they haven't found a place as yet. So they, you know, they have been to check into a five-star hotel no, with their true. family. Yeah. Yeah, they check into a five-star hotel with their family until they find a place they like. And the international schools, they take kids all the time. So they're here with their family. So their center of life is here. They send their kids to school. Their kids are going to school here. They just don't have a place of mutual abode because they're looking around and they don't want to be forced to rush into a deal they don't like. So in a scenario like that, they don't have a place of habitual abode, but it is their center of life. What happens? Well, I, in my opinion, in my opinion, I, 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 what the law says, I will try to translate it as literally as, okay. as I can. What the law says is habitual residence. Okay. Habitual residence. So I don't think the habitual residence is... Um, the same concept as, as a center of vital interest because within the center mm -hmm. i'm just going to describe my reason sure. mm -hmm. uh, habitual residence is a place where you that you usually use as like your headquarters of your life you come and go mm -hmm. if you're a pilot you leave for the airplane even if you stay for less than 183 days in portugal mm -hmm. because you're traveling there is a place where you come back. This is your habitual mm -hmm. residence. Central mm -hmm. vital interest, I think, it can be... Um, it, it, there are other elements to consider aside from the, mm -hmm. the, the place where you want to set your residency. For instance, if your family okay. is away, yeah. I think that will mo most likely attract your central or vital interest to another country or if your mm -hmm. employer is in another country. So mm -hmm. I wouldn't necessarily overlap the two concepts. Mm -hmm. um, going back to your to your very difficult question uh, I can I can answer that with uh, in practical terms and then we can mm -hmm. next maybe discuss elaborate on that from a theoretical yeah. standpoint but from a, from a practical term uh, I will find it very difficult for the tax authorities to accept to register you as residents with uh, invoices from a hotel mm -hmm. sometimes even when you have Airbnbs mm -hmm. uh, and, and you say, well, I'm, I've booked this Airbnb for an entire year, so there is a clear evidence that I want to stay for a longer period. From a practical standpoint, and I'm not saying every tax office will refuse it, but I would say yeah. that it, it mm -hmm. is not going to be accepted um, as a rule. 
So it's mm. uh, the hotel. It's even I think clear that it will create uh, practical hurdles in changing mm. tax residency. Mm-hmm. Um, but 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 again, because habitual residence, you you won't typically you won't set your habitual residence. The place where you live is typically not in a hotel. I'm mm-hmm. very careful with the words because there are obviously, I mean, there are cases of soccer players here that actually live yeah. in hotels. Yeah. So I, I'm not saying that there are no exceptions yeah. and that we cannot just show evidence that this is the case. Mm-hmm. I would say in the case of the soccer play, players, it, it could be, I think we could be able to explain that because it was like public knowledge that mm-hmm. they were living in mm-hmm. hotels. Yeah. But from mm-hmm. a normal, uh, from uh, I would try to avoid that, if possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if possible, is not possible if you cannot mm-hmm. get a lease or if you cannot get a house, which sometimes mm-hmm. happens. Mm-hmm. Then we just have to try and see how it goes. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, I had clients that wanted a place in a certain uh, city. Mm-hmm. There was no place available for them. So they had to stay in Airbnbs. They want absolutely 100% wanted to stay in Portugal, but they just, just yeah. didn't have the place available for them. So until the end of the year, I think we'll, we'll have to be creative. But mm-hmm. if we can do it in a, in a more standard way, which is mm-hmm. either you buy a house, obviously, or you lease a house, a lease with a, a length of over one year to demonstrate mm-hmm. an intent to, to stay for a longer period, that mm-hmm. least that lease should be registered with the Portuguese tax authorities. This is a formality, but lease agreements must be registered, and stamp mm-hmm. tax must be paid over that lease. Then mm-hmm. you'll be able to register. I think I've answered more or less. But yeah. go ahead. And no, no, no. Thank you. I, I appreciate you being so thorough. Deep, deeply appreciate it. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm conscious of your time, so I'll jump into the next question now, which is, to be fair, equally perhaps nuanced, which is the idea of U.S. pass-through entities. Because in the U.S., I mean, there are LLCs, or limited liability companies, but there are also S-Corps, which are also pass-throughs. The question becomes, generally speaking, how are those viewed by the tax office? Yeah, very good question, and very very well posed, if I may say. Because when I was, okay. um, when I was studying and we read the partnership report and all of that. And then we, when we come into our desks and, and to our actual practices, things not always match. So what I know, Portuguese tax authorities have a ruling from, a, from an American mm-hmm. uh, LLC, right? Correct, it's a, yeah, it's correct. A partnership. And, and they say mm-hmm. something like that. Uh, even though the LLC is deemed transparent, it's a partnership and is deemed transparent, uh, mm-hmm. that's transparent will not equate port transparency from a Portuguese standpoint. Mm-hmm. So Portuguese will look at it and will apply its own version or its own views of what is transparent. And according to Portuguese mm-hmm. law, uh, will be the transparent companies in which the shareholders are only professionals, let's say architects mm-hmm. or lawyers, which are listed in a closed list. Um, or, for instance, companies that only exist to manage the personal state of the shareholders. Mm-hmm. So in those cases, there is transparency. But it's a, mm-hmm. a concept very well defined under Portuguese law. If the mm-hmm. LLC also presents the same features, we will 
treated as transparent. If not, mm. we will look at the income that flows from the US to Portugal and we'll mm -hmm. treat it as a profit. And we will, we have, uh, you may or not know, it doesn't matter, I'll explain. So Portuguese personal income tax is divided in six boxes of income. It's a uh, mm -hmm. scheduler system. One of the boxes um, that treats or includes what we call capital income, which yeah. has dividends, interests, income from mm -hmm. participation units and funds. Mm -hmm. And it, it will be considered sort of a profit. And we will tax mm -hmm. it at the 28% rate, which applies mm -hmm. to other capital income. This is mm -hmm. from our domestic standpoint. Mm -hmm. what, what will happen then is we will apply the tax treaty and according mm -hmm. to the tax treaty, that flow of capital will not fit the notion of dividends for mm -hmm. treaty purposes. So mm -hmm. Portuguese tax authorities just defended is, is treated as other income, Article 24, other income. And if it comes from the US, it's uh, both countries can tax and there will be a, a credit. Credit. Mm -hmm. So this gotcha. is, uh, mm -hmm. so uh, yeah. And, and the, there was transparency mm -hmm. issues are obviously very, very tricky. Yeah. Uh, even for, let's say, um, residency purposes and, and treaty entitlement purposes. Uh, but uh, por Portugal, to the best of my, my knowledge, um, mm -hmm. will tend to follow the documentation that is provided by the country of residence. And if there mm -hmm. is a document saying it is this entity is deemed resident for tax purposes, Mm -hmm. then we tend to accept it is an entity for and it is entitled to the it has treaty mm -hmm. entitlement okay so and and i just uh of course appreciating the fact that portugal is a civil law jurisdiction so these findings or these determinations are non-binding not legally binding as they would be in a common law jurisdiction like the us and the uk right but in that particular uh circumstance that particular case uh, I believe the the Portugal tax resident was a limited partner. So they're not involved in the day-to-day -day running the business. And the business had economic substance, the real substance in the U.S. The people sitting boots on the ground in the U.S. who were actually running the company. So, uh, you know, I, I'm just kind of pointing that out because I would imagine theoretically if it is that, let's say, the other extreme, it were a single member LLC. So there's no substance at all in the US. From a US point of view, it's a child company. Yeah. It's totally transparent, doesn't exist. Then would, and this is yeah. my question now, would Portugal see it slightly differently? Yeah, I would say so, yes. I would say yeah. so. Uh, uh, first of all, just, just to clarify, mm -hmm. this ruling was from the Portuguese tax authority. It's, as yeah. you said, it's mm -hmm. non-binding uh, mm -hmm. to all the taxpayers except for the taxpayer that actually asked for the ruling. So it binds the tax authorities in that specific case, but it doesn't apply. Mm -hmm. Well, obviously, uh, my my opinion is that we cannot ignore it because in a way, mm -hmm. tax authorities have expressed their, their ruling. It's pub mm -hmm. is of public knowledge. They should publish mm -hmm. the uh, ruling. So it's mm -hmm. something that I cannot ignore if it exists. I can, I can mm -hmm. challenge it. I can apply mm -hmm. and go to yeah. court. Uh, but yeah. but it's something that I cannot I cannot just ignore. But mm -hmm. I, I I I think you're right. If you mm -hmm. just have a company in the US and the sole shareholder is in Portugal, and what I'm assuming is that the uh, actually activity of the company is t 
undertaken by the sh the, the partner, the, sh the shareholder mm. in Portugal, and the mm. entity there is simply a vehicle. That way, I would say it, it would be deemed transparent. And but but that in that case, the company would be perceived as transparent also for Portuguese law purposes. Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and that's a different thing. And in all fairness, mm -hmm. there has been uh, uh, there has been an interview by the State Secretary of Tax Affairs just this week saying oh. that they were going to be looking at transparency with more uh, secure. And there, there has been a few public cases of companies mm -hmm. which were harboring the activity of the shareholder. Mm -hmm. um, some, some of them of public knowledge, uh, for instance. Mm -hmm. I, th I think I can share all this. So it wasn't on news. Um, so the, uh, public, the, uh, our national coach, uh, soccer coach, was paid through a company and there was a decision by the arbitration courts. There was also a decision by a very known plastic. You don't you don't use the expression plastic uh, artist, right? It's just artist. Right? Yeah, just artist. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, this yeah. artist, uh, very known artist that was using also a company, and so there. For a number of years, I don't think transparency has really been an issue, even though it's not in the law. So mm -hmm. I haven't seen it being targeted by the tax authorities. Uh, even though the features for a, a, a transparent entity exist in a specific mm -hmm. entity, but I haven't seen tax authorities going auditing them and actually applying the transparency rules. But in that mm -hmm. case, I would say transparency rules would apply. Mm -hmm. uh, that's uh, that's an issue. Okay, okay, and and just to throw another layer of uh, of interest or complexity. <laughs> let's 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 layer in the NHR now, and let's say that it was like the the previous scenario where there's real substance in the U.S. The person, the tax resident in Portugal, is a partner who does nothing. All the heavy lifting, all the economic activities taking place in the U.S. In that scenario, pre as established by the ruling, the non-binding ruling, capital income. 28% or when 28% goes up to 48, whatever it is, it'd be taxable. Now, some people are having a conversation saying, hold on, we can then, what about the, the whole, what about the NHR? What about the treaty? You know, shouldn't this not be taxed by Portugal? Yeah, Have I you heard so. that conversation? I haven't. Uh, okay. I haven't, but... I mean, if the tax authorities say that this is capital income, mm -hmm. um, capital income should be exempt in Portugal as long as the income is taxable in the other country in accordance mm -hmm. with the tax treaty. Mm -hmm. So in mm -hmm. the specific case of the U.S., because there is uh, both countries can tax, mm -hmm. because a lot of, of tax treaties, it's exclusive. Uh, the taxing powers rest exclusively with the residency country, mm -hmm. right? But in the case of the U.S., if the money flows from the U.S., the U.S. can tax, uh, and Portugal can tax as well. So the income is taxable in the U.S. I would say it should be exempt in Portugal. I wouldn't. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say that this would apply to uh, all other tax treaties that we have because the allocation mm -hmm. is different. But I would say that following the reasoning of the tax authorities, which is what well, Article Twenty Four will apply, meaning both countries will have taxing powers, meaning the mm -hmm. residents' country will have to grant a credit. I mm -hmm. I don't see why there should be a taxation in Portugal. 
now. Mm. One thing is to say that there should yeah. be an exemption in Portugal, but mm -hmm. I mean, what counts is overall tax burden. And mm. what in the case of dividends, because the withholding tax is generally limited to 15%, according to the tax, mm -hmm. most tax treaties, yeah. overall tax burden is 15%. If you have more taxation in the US mm -hmm. on that income, even though exempt in Portugal, the overall tax burden may increase. Do you, do you know how what would be the... I'm, I'm sorry, I, sh I shouldn't be posing questions to you, but you know, <laughs> no, what would be the, the, the tax framework in the US? <laughs> The, the the well, if the person is a U.S. taxpayer, which uh, I guess most clients that we deal with, they tend to be U.S. exposed, then they'll be taxed, uh, or you know, at whatever their ordinary income would be, depending on the nature of the income. Um, well, so high. Yeah. Broke. So yeah, it'll move up and down. If the person is not a U.S. taxpayer, then it'll be subject to withholding. The default for FDAP, fixed determinable annual periodic, is 30% or less by the treaty, which, as you pointed out, could be 15%. So it, it depends on whether the person is a U.S. taxpayer or not, even though resident in Portugal. Yeah. So not good. And at the right. end of the day, we, we can, even though there, there's, there may be an extension in Portugal, the overall tax burden will be higher than if you have an OPAC company. But but then if you have an OPAC company, you have more taxation there, right? You have two levels of tax. Uh yeah, depending on depending on the nature of the of the income. Yeah, you're correct. There'll be state and there'll be federal of whatever your marginal tax rate will be. So you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So so it's interesting. So we see people's adopting the position, you know, I'm not gonna I'm gonna obviously declare the income, but I'll declare that it's not taxable by Portugal and kind of sit back and see what the Portugal tax office does about it, right? Is that? I didn't get the question. Right, so in this scenario where some people are uh, taking the position that it's not taxable by Portugal. Ah, okay, no, but... but yeah. uh... Even though not not even though benefiting from the exemption, you still have to declare it. You have to declare. Yeah, it of course, you declare it. So you mm -hmm. you would you will declare it in the way you think it's accurate. So you would mm -hmm. say, uh, if if it is uh, if you mm -hmm. cons if from a Portuguese standpoint the company is opaque, I will treat it as a dividend, and mm -hmm. this is my opinion, and, mm -hmm. and 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 it's an opinion that seems to be backed up by by interpretation of tax authorities. Mm -hmm. If it is transparent from our standpoint, I will just declare it as uh, income, but but not necessarily as a as a dividend. So, okay. but taxable in the other country, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Okay, next one. The yeah, the the taxation of U.S. pensions and Social Security. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please talk uh, us yeah. through this. I I don't I don't know if I'm going to talk. Uh, teach you anything. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to walk <laughs> you through it, but we, but we definitely uh, can discuss. But um, so let's uh, see. <laughs> uh, do, do, I'm going to see it. I'm going to explain the way I see it. Portuguese okay. personal income tax code was prepared in the 80s, entered into mm -hmm. force in 89, and so uh, the rules are prepared for taxing Portuguese pensions. Mm. All right. <laughs> And Portuguese pensions are paid by a Portugal, Portuguese public institute, which is the Social Security Institute. So you make contributions uh, to the employee 
bears a portion of those contributions, the employer pays another portion of that. And the income, when you reach retirement age, you get your pension and your mm -hmm. retirement pension will be will qualify under personal income tax. In Remember those six boxes I've told before? Yep. It will qualify as pension income. That's okay. it. Mm -hmm. Top. Pension income is taxable at progressive tax rates. So very high. It's not very high because pensions in Portugal are very low, so there's there's that. But mm -hmm. the tax rates can be progressive and can go uh, very high. Our marginal top rate, which applies over 250K, it's 53%, okay? 250K for a Portuguese uh, resident is considered very high. Mm -hmm. I think it would be... Uh, middle class in the US, I've heard some mm -hmm. statements by... President Biden. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't. I don't. I'm not sure. But but I think there there should be a gap in in so 250k mm -hmm. per year is very high here. Still, mm -hmm. that 53 percent is uh, very high. I mean, mm -hmm. we are we are the seventh highest uh, tax personal mm -hmm. income tax rate in Europe. Seventh. Wow. In, out of 27, so it's very high. Um, mm -hmm. I'll I'll explain then. It's, this is very high, but there are very there are various. Um, exceptional regimes, but we'll come to that in a second. So pension income, when you retired, it's prepared to be uh, pension income. So if you look at other countries, then the confusion will be created. Why is that? Because we won't find necessarily a social security institute, which is uh, similar to ours. Sometimes um, contributions, mandatory contributions, um, are paid by private schemes, not by mm -hmm. public institutes. So mm -hmm. it starts. Mm -hmm. And why is that? Because pension, the word pension in Portuguese, pensões, may be taxed as employment income, as capital income, and as I said, as pension income. So what changes? If you have a state pension, the equivalent of the social security and you are paid upon retirement you should qualify mm -hmm. as pension income that's it mm -hmm. that's what we will i mean it qualifies for for treaty purposes as pension income etc mm -hmm. but then let's say you have uh, an additional social uh, an additional pension which um, is fed by contributions paid by your employer so your employer is a very nice guy he says well mm -hmm. I know your pension is going to be awful, so I'll just, in addition to what you're going to receive and the contributions that I have to make to Social Security here, I will mm -hmm. pay an extra, and I will mm -hmm. pay it to a private uh, pension scheme, which mm -hmm. is sort of a financial product. It's mm -hmm. not a Social Security, it's a financial product. And that amount may qualify as employment income mm -hmm. in two cases. If mm -hmm. you have what is called acquired rights, Mm -hmm. If you change that job, if you leave that company and move to another one, and you're still entitled to that amount, mm -hmm. take sort of the the fund or the pockets that uh, belongs to you, mm -hmm. this is called an acquired right. And mm -hmm. if you get a, a payment by your employer, which is uh, treated, considered to be a, uh, an acquired right, that income, that amount of payments by your employer is immediately taxed as employment income sort of a, of a fringe benefit. Mm -hmm. If you don't have an acquired right, you will still be taxed uh, as employment income if you withdraw it before mm -hmm. you reach retirement age. 
Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So let's say you haven't. Uh, so this is employment income, but it can be treated also as capital income. Mostly it will be treated as capital income if you withdraw it all at once. Right. right? Mm -hmm. If you receive, take it out under the form of a lump sum, then it may be treated as capital income. But mm -hmm. if he hasn't still been taxed as employment income, that portion that was paid by your employer, so mm -hmm. there are two chunks. The one, mm -hmm. the amount of the capital, it will still mm -hmm. be taxed even at a later stage as employment income. And the mm -hmm. capitalization, the valuation of the assets will be treated as capital income. Mm -hmm. If you receive that amount uh, after reaching retirement age, it will be capital income, as I've described, mm -hmm. or it can still be, to be treated as, a, as pension income if you receive it under the form of a rent. Mm -hmm. So if you receive periodic payments, it mm -hmm. will qualify as pension income. So mm -hmm. very this, this on its own, it's very difficult to understand and to explain. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes the features are difficult to understand when you're looking at other countries. From my experience, mm -hmm. sometimes I have I, I, I know that the, the client receives a pension and I ask, but who pays it? Mm -hmm. Was it the employer? Do you, did you pay it yourself? Mm -hmm. But is it mandatory or not? Is it mm -hmm. because you, I just received an email saying pension plan. So they mm -hmm. send me a brochure and even the brochure sometimes. So it's from a practical standpoint, I find yeah. it very difficult sometimes to qualify it mm -hmm. in, uh, in one of those boxes. And uh, I'm assuming this may lead to some litigation because sometimes it's difficult to explain as well. Mm -hmm. uh, in, in my personal opinion, if it is mandatory, if you just if you are paid upon retirement, mm -hmm. and uh, even if it is paid by a private entity, mm -hmm. right? But his retirement and it is a mandatory social security scheme. I I think it should qualify as a pension. Why? Okay, all right. So the simplest scenario, simplest scenario, in that it's the variant that perhaps matches with what obtains here in Portugal would be if someone works for the government. So let's say they were a federal employee, they were a fireman, they were in the military, they worked for the government. Yeah. And there were, it was an obligation. They had to contribute yeah. and the government may have put something as well. Yes. And at the, upon retirement, but they, whatever the age is, and they happen to be here in Portugal, the distribution, uh, not in one go, but every month or whatever the required minimum distribution over per month per quarter, whatever it is, that would be a pension that would match with Portugal's definition, more or less. I would say so, yes. Uh, the right. fact that you're mentioning it's a public service and uh, all of that, in my opinion, it should qualify as pension. Mm -hmm. It is upon retirement, and even and even if it was, it would be debatable. The fact that you mentioned mm -hmm. that it's paid periodically, I think, would settle the qualification issues. And if you want an HR, I want our tax uh, according to a specific framework, and general taxpayers according to the other. If you're an NHR, mm -hmm. pension income. Uh, qualifying as pension, as uh, you just described, should be uh, liable to a 10% flat rate. Right. Problem with your scenario, I think, yeah. mm -hmm. I don't have the entire 3D on back on my, my mind, but mm -hmm. typically when you're paying 
when you're paid from public uh, servants, public service, mm -hmm. there is no exclusive taxing powers on residency. There should be either exclusive taxing powers uh, on source or sometimes mm -hmm. both countries can tax. So even though mm -hmm. uh, I would apply a 10% tax, uh, flat rate here, there or according to law, there's 10%, there should be exclusive taxing powers in the US. So I wouldn't mm -hmm. be really taking advantage of the regime here. So in order to take advantage of the regime, you should have a pension from past private employment. In that way, exclusive taxing powers rest with the residency country, which in the case mm -hmm. of the NHR should be Portugal, and you would be eligible for the 10%, right? This mm -hmm. was what led Sweden to yeah. terminate the tax treaty with us. Mm -hmm. Okay, so so well, even with this scenario in which they were a former government employee, that it's it's fine from the U.S. side. There's a way of recharacterizing the income, so we get to apply that ten percent that we okay. pay to Portugal against the U.S. liability on a form eleven sixteen for those only well U.S. taxpayers. Now, if it is that someone worked for a private sector employer. So no government at all. Yeah. Then that's 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 different, right? So it would be viewed as potentially securities income, potentially employment income, at the point at which they take distributions, depending on whether they take it in a lump sum or over a period of time. Am I correct in saying that? I think so, but let let's recap. I would say yeah. if it is a, mand a mandatory pension scheme. Which is the mm -hmm. mandatory state? Uh, there is a there is a, a binding ruling again, only binding for the taxpayer. But it may, there mm -hmm. there are several um, several different components to the pension that a taxpayer received, and one mm -hmm. and it was paid mm -hmm. by the UK from the UK. And mm -hmm. there was a what what tax authority said it was state pension, a state mm -hmm. pension, mm -hmm. which a state pension with which I'm assuming and mm -hmm. I which I consider doesn't really have to be paid by a state body, but it is mandatory right. pension, in my opinion, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. pension income. And if it is that state pension, you can mm -hmm. be you can receive it periodically, but I think mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. the law allows me to interpret it that way, you may redeem it all at once if it is the state's mm -hmm. pension and it mm -hmm. won't change the qualification. Mm -hmm. Now, if it is not the state pension, then you enter in that uh, argument of where it fits uh, mm. and, and it depends. Have you re reached retirement age? Yes mm -hmm. or not? Yes, I have. So it's capital income or it's um, pension income, depending on if you receive it all at once or if you receive it in the form of rent. You haven't right. received, uh, you haven't reached retirement age. So do you have an acquired rights? You you would be taxed immediately. If you don't, um, mm -hmm. you may be taxed a, a portion of it as employment income and the other portion as, uh, as capital mm -hmm. income. So very straightforward, as you can see, <laughs> very intuitive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. People can just do it uh, on their own. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay. So generally speaking, uh, you know, in, in the U.S., estate planning is, you know, it's a big part of the conversation uh, in, in terms of, you know, dealing with family finances. 
and the estate planning tools that we look at in the U.S. aren't necessarily around tax optimization, but it's really about asset protection and succession planning. So we want our assets to go to certain members of our family, uh, you know, some kids over others, spouses, whatever the case may be. What are the typical estate planning tools that would be used from a Portugal perspective? I, um, I'm not really an estate planner, so I would mm -hmm. definitely uh, gather my team together and use yeah. some that is uh, used to deal with inheritance mm -hmm. uh, and family issues. But I would say that mm -hmm. uh, I think the law that will apply will be the law of nationality. So some of mm -hmm. these issues that you're, some of the planning that you're doing in the US mm -hmm. will still, I would say, apply here. We mm -hmm. have very strict inheritance rules that result from mm -hmm. our civil code. Mm -hmm. we, we cannot do whatever we want to our assets. There is a portion of the assets that are, uh, you, can, you, can, you can leave in a will whomever we want, but some has to, a portion of it has to be to your kids. They, are, mm -hmm. they can refuse it or accept it, but I have to leave them to them. So there is, it's not 100% free of what we do with the assets. But I would say, for, first of all, it's... Uh, Always very nice to speak with you, but uh, it's very nice to, to listen to what you're saying about most of the time it's not about tax planning because that's also the experience that I have. Mm -hmm. what, I, what I, with people's, people from other nationalities, tax planning may, may be a, a bigger trigger than from, from people mm -hmm. from the US. Mm -hmm. And generally, what I hear something along the lines of um, I want to pay taxes, I just don't want to leave a tip. I don't want to overpay, <laughs> yeah. but uh, I don't. Yeah. I don't mind paying my share. Yeah. And in terms, then I think Portugal will be a very friendly country from a tax, uh, the taxation of inheritance, because mm -hmm. we have a territorial system. We don't have inheritance tax. First of all, mm -hmm. we have yeah. stamp tax. Stamp mm -hmm. tax is sort of a pouch where we put everything that uh, doesn't doesn't belong to any any other place or there's, mm -hmm. so we, we tax financing we tax collateral mm -hmm. we tax gambling in stem tax also we tax inheritance mm -hmm. but for once the inheritance the stem tax is very territorial so if you have your assets outside of portugal there shouldn't be any taxation that's mm -hmm. that's sometimes very uh, interesting for for people that move to portugal and ha that have like a portfolio of assets spread around the world mm -hmm. and they're not really concerned about the uh, impact of taxation in Portugal because at the, the point they move to Portugal, they will have some assets here, but not the majority mm -hmm. of it. So it's fine. Right. So Second, this applies. Sorry, right. before we move. So this would apply even though someone stays long enough in Portugal and perhaps oh, yeah. they naturalize and they become a, a dual citizen. So they have a Portugal passport. Still, their assets back in the U.S. won't be subject to any sort of when they when they pass away. It yeah. won't be subject to the forced airship rules that you mentioned earlier, nor would it be subject to any stamp duty. Am I correct in saying that? The inheritance, I, I would feel more comfortable if we, we could confirm with, uh, with okay. an expert right. of that area, but I would say it's mm -hmm. law of nationality. Uh, but from a tax mm -hmm. standpoint, um, I just opened up provision in my right screen. So you will, mm -hmm. be, uh, you will be taxed on free transfer. The law says it's on free transfers. And uh, mm -hmm. if you inherit, it's, it's, it's a free transfer. It's mm -hmm. not a transfer for consideration. You mm -hmm. will pay tax if the assets are located in, in Portuguese ter territory. So if you have okay. real estate here, yeah. if you have uh, 
mobile assets registered here. So if you have your car, and th that will be taxed, but that will be negligible in the great mm -hmm. scheme of things. Mm -hmm. uh, you have shares if the acquirer has domiciled. Uh, mm. If the company has is registered in Portugal and mm -hmm. plus the acquirer has domiciled in Portugal. So if the hairs are outside mm. of Portugal, even if you it have a company here, it won't do that. Yeah, mm -hmm. and um, mm -hmm. and if you have money in bank accounts in Portugal, mm -hmm. okay? So okay. if you leave most of your assets outside of Portugal, it should be fine. Gotcha. And gotcha. Plus, plus mm -hmm. there is an exemption on mm -hmm. uh, on inheritance if your hairs are your either your, your descents or your ascents. So if you leave it to your kids, or to mm -hmm. your uh, parents, there mm -hmm. won't be any taxation because there is an exemption. So two, two mm -hmm. like let's say two layers of comfort. Mm -hmm. First of all, exemption mm -hmm. on descents and ascents. Second mm -hmm. layer, uh, a big chunk of your assets will be outside of Portugal, so there won't be any inheritance tax. So mm -hmm. that's not okay. bad. That that's good to know. So in terms of domestic assets. And the domestic to Portugal assets and the forced airship rules. Are there ways around that? So, for example, I guess a conversation would need to be had perhaps around gifting, because perhaps they could be gifted before you, you pass naturally, uh, yeah. potentially. Uh, I've heard people talk about not so much in Portugal, but next door in, in Spain and France, but UC Fruits. Uh, are you? Familiar with those well, arrangements? According, according, according to the law, if you donate mm -hmm. um, and try to breach mandatory rules because you anticipate mm -hmm. uh, the transfer of the assets, yeah. it shouldn't work. Uh, oh, in, okay. some, in, okay. in some cases, the assets mm -hmm. that, let's say, you donate, you have two kids. One of them mm -hmm. is your favorite and you don't like mm -hmm. the other as much. Yeah. Uh, just obviously kidding, but let's say it's something like that. Mm -hmm. You can just if you donate to the, your favorite kid um, mm -hmm. during your life, the asset mm -hmm. that you've donated should be considered uh, should be considered for the purposes of inheritance as well. Mm -hmm. So you had one million of assets. You donate mm -hmm. hundred in life, nine hundred left. That asset mm -hmm. should be considered when you split the assets between the two heirs, mm -hmm. right? This is from a theoretical okay. standpoint. From a from mm -hmm. a practical standpoint, mm -hmm. I. I don't record this now, but I would say that mm -hmm. from a, I'm just kidding, from a practical standpoint, I would say mm -hmm. that uh, in some cases it should be harder to demonstrate that the assets were transferred. So if they're, if it is real estate, it's easy to detect. But if it is, mm -hmm. let's say something which is uh, more easily uh, hidden, hide, mm -hmm. hide easily, maybe yeah. it's mm -hmm. going to be an uh, escape. Other things that um, mm -hmm. sometimes I've seen People using its companies and other like insurance wrappers mm. or stuff like that mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. if you have assets within a company then the, mm -hmm. the rules that will govern the company are other sorts of rules that mm -hmm. i think is also case law on people trying to we have obviously that the abuse doc doctrine so if you mm -hmm. abuse legal forms to reach uh, an outcome that is not desired by the law you can just um Mm -hmm. support a claim based on abuse of right but um the, the law is theirs but but mm -hmm. sometimes this takes a long time in court right, i would say mm -hmm. and, and, okay. and sometimes it's difficult mm -hmm. to right so life insurance wrappers are 
something that, you know, I, I mean, of course it's a specialist topic, but perhaps yeah. it would be of interest to someone who's interested in that space, PPLIs, life insurance. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Yep, uh, I've I've uh, listening to yeah insurance wrappers is something that is used for estate planning as as you know in other mm -hmm. places in Portugal as well. Mm -hmm. uh, there is obviously the uh, all, all sorts of considerations is an expert uh, topic as you say, but then you have to consider the uh, the risk of losing your assets because of insolvency mm -hmm. of the uh, insurance stuff like yes, that. Yes, exactly. So yes. No perfect solution, but you know, perfect options, solution. Yeah. Yeah. options to consider. Don't okay. put your the, all assets in the same basket, right? Yeah, Just absolutely. And and related topic, asset protection. Obviously, I mean, my my sense is that Portugal and you guide me if I'm wrong. Portugal is not as litigious a society as let's say the U.S. So oh, you know, asset protection is a huge part of. The, the whole financial planning process in the US, but perhaps less so in Portugal. But to the extent that it is something to consider, what are the typical asset protection tools that would be available? Uh, I would imagine it's similar to what we discussed previously on estate planning. Yeah. Your comments? For, I, I would say it depends on if you're Portuguese, born, raised, mm. and if you're entire life here, or if, you, mm. if you're, if you're non-resident. Mm -hmm. Because what what I see is non-residents already have their uh, structures in place, mm -hmm. so it's just a matter of see if those would apply here and what would be the ramifications. So, for instance, mm -hmm. I see a lot of Brits with uh, trusts. Mm -hmm. Trust is a is a like a f something that we do not acknowledge as a legal yeah. uh, entity in Portugal mm -hmm. because we are a civil law country. So mm -hmm. we have to sometimes look at these plannings and see. What would be how would they be perceived from a Portuguese tax authority's goggles? You know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, trusts use of tax havens is also not very is becoming less and less uh, acceptable from from a European or uh, OECD mm -hmm. standpoint. So mm -hmm. you have to be you have to tread lightly, even though, in all uh, honesty. I think there is some prejudice on tax havens, even though in a lot of countries there is a huge tradition on using tax havens. Some some of the cases, as you were saying, it's not at all tax related. It's more related with the uh, asset protection. It's a structure mm -hmm. that is in place since Middle Ages, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so so yeah. so it's it's not to evade taxes, but we have to see mm -hmm. how it works from a Portuguese standpoint. Um, Structures are different. It it pretty much mm -hmm. depends on the level of wealth that you have. Mm -hmm. uh, I see, uh, I see, lots of companies sometimes mm -hmm. used for asset protection. Mm -hmm. And if you have wealthy families, there is a common branch which is held by each of the families of or mm -hmm. the sub branches of the family. Then mm -hmm. you have companies, you use more companies than trusts. There are rules mm -hmm. on the distributions of, of profits from the operational part of the business to mm -hmm. the holding, to the subholdings until, like, let's say, the grand, mm -hmm. uh, grandsons and grand grandsons with mm -hmm. different rules. That, uh, But I think we use more companies for, for those mm -hmm. purposes. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of real estate. There's a 
tradition in Portugal to use real estate to invest because it's something that mm -hmm. won't be lost. Mm -hmm. But for, mm -hmm. for data, data protection, also, obviously, we use other jurisdictions if necessary, mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. but but more around the legal, so let's say the, uh, the structure more around companies than around other, um, mm -hmm. can I say figures? Other structures that I see in yeah. the uh, US, yeah. UK, mm -hmm. Canada, mm -hmm. even Brazil. Mm -hmm. uh, Brazil also, there's a tradition to have to use offshores, mm -hmm. tradition to have uh, sometimes trusts. Mm -hmm. It pretty much depends on the, on the jurisdiction. But mm -hmm. what I'm seeing more and more is people mm -hmm. move to Portugal, foreigners, especially with the estate planning already structured. Yeah. So it's just a matter what I recommend is prior to your relocation to Portugal, we mm. have to test that and see whether it fits or not. Because absolutely, yeah. trusts, offshores, is something that we need to tread lightly and may not work mm -hmm. to Portugal, so we need to see if something has to mm -hmm. be changed to work. Absolutely, right. yeah. Uh, what struck me about Portugal is that it perhaps has the longest list of blacklisted jurisdictions of any country I've ever seen. <laughs> Basically, it's everywhere in the world. Yeah, every island, yeah, <laughs> every so. island. But you throw in your Panama, you throw in the United Arab Emirates. It's just, yeah. yeah. Anyway, but, it, it, is what, what it is what strikes me as odd in that list yeah. is that mm -hmm. there are some countries mm -hmm. uh, with with which we have tax treaties. So it's a tax haven, yeah. blacklisted, but we do have tax treaties with them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we have exchange of information clauses. I don't know if they mm -hmm. exchange really. I, I don't know if they exchange information or not, but we, we do have tax treaties. And mm -hmm. when we have so so, if I have to choose, it's onshore. But mm -hmm. then if it is offshore and blacklisted, I would definitely choose the one that has a tax treaty because, for instance, mm -hmm. for NHR purposes, well, there is a tax treaty, so I think rules will be slightly different. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That actually is a great segue into the whole process of pre-immigration planning. Someone is moving to to Portugal before you you make the concrete step and, and you trigger tax residency. Uh, if I can borrow what you said previously, so basically you take your structure to someone who understands the, the Portugal system and they're looking for things that won't fit. So for example, as you said, a trust, it's a civil or jurisdiction of trust won't be interpreted in the same way that it is outside. And if, as as you said, I mean, I believe there were like over a hundred jurisdictions, you know, in that list of the, the Portugal list of the non-cooperative jurisdictions. If it is that your structure includes any of those jurisdictions, you may need to reconsider it or at least understand the impact that would be had now that you are in, in Portugal or any of the kids or anybody who's supposed to benefit from that structure, there would be implications to, to consider. Uh, what else what, what else do you typically have in your conversation with clients uh, uh, who intend to, to move to Portugal? Well, one thing I like to understand is what is a reasonable amount of tax for them? Mm. Because uh, for some, jurisdictions to pay the standard 28% tax on dividend distribution that we have is pretty good. Mm -hmm. For some others, that's a huge chunk and they don't want to pay it. So I, I like to say what, what I, I would say that most clients 
uh, are willing to pay some tax, but mm -hmm. there is a, a an, an optimal level in their in their opinion that they are willing to do. So this is important to see how how to deal with that, because I mean sometimes you just have to let's say what we let's let's start mm -hmm. with the end. Let's, yeah. I like to be analytical in this. So. The worst thing you can do is receive money under the form of employment income. That's the worst you can do. So, you, yeah. Why? Because tax rates are progressive and very high, because mm -hmm. high rates are achieved in a relatively low amount, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. second, you have social security. So, this is something to yes. avoid. Okay. Yes. Yes. A lot of board members and, and, and people that have employment uh, income. Well, let's see how mm -hmm. it works. Also, employment income will create a whole lot of liabilities of dual residency. That's uh, because if, if they're managers, sometimes mm -hmm. there there is the, the permanent establishment, establishment. Uh, issue mm -hmm. that is very, very big, especially if you if you don't have an employment agreement, but you're a contractor or something like that. So along the lines of the transparency issues that we were talking in the beginning, there is mm -hmm. also the P issue and the home office issue. So this mm. is something that we need to address immediately because mm -hmm. taxation is huge and risks are also huge. So yeah. first, mm -hmm. so what is the best fit from a Portuguese stand well, uh, standpoint? Well, if you have the NHR, the best is to have dividends or interest from uh, underlying debt from products mm -hmm. that are uh, flowing from a product with an underlying debt. So it qualifies as dividends for the purposes of the tax relief. This is the best. There's no taxation in Portugal. There's no social security, and mm -hmm. the withholding tax should be low. So if you have those, mm -hmm. it's fine. Yeah. If you don't have those, then mm -hmm. we are going to have to tread lightly. Why is that? Because mm -hmm. the word requalification is something that we should not, we should keep away. We should requalify mm -hmm. dividend. We should requalify income because we may be under uh, an anti-avoidance provision. I mean, mm -hmm. there is DAC. That's six. There is a, mm -hmm. a lot of issues that deal with requalification, but mm -hmm. even if you don't requalify, sometimes no, not at all. So I'll just push that away. But sometimes, if you have, you you can take more money out under the form of a dividends and less anticipating in the form of work. For instance, it mm -hmm. depends. So, do you have flexibility? What is your job description if you cannot uh, avoid taking money out? Under the form of an employment, what what do you do? Mm -hmm. Can I see the description? Does it fit a high value added activity or not? But even if the, the agreement doesn't say so, what do you, do you actually do? Is something that we can just see if the wording matches because your your actual function is like this. So something like that. Then there, what I'm always looking for is uh, offshore huge problem. Always mm -hmm. CFC legislation. Yep. Uh, you have you have you have low low tax jurisdictions even if they're not tax havens mm -hmm. control how much do you mm -hmm. what is the threshold of your old holding mm -hmm. can you dispose of it are you willing to but you have to transfer it but sometimes let's say if you transfer one percent i'm not i'm not suggesting using a fiduciary uh mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. person or just yeah, give it possibly. away to to sell to your wife but maybe if you just sell Two percent of your of your shares, then you won't qualify for CFC rules, and that's something which is interesting. Yep. What are the rules? I mean, sometimes with pension income, as we were discussing, mm -hmm. uh, well, it's a lump. I want to take it all under the form of a lump sum. 
well, mm -hmm. maybe you should do it before you come to Portugal and become resident mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. the tax the tax regime in, the, in your country of departure is very friendly for that. Mm -hmm. But if you're paying regularly under the form of a, a rent, well, maybe the 10%, it's nice. And generally, there is a financial element to consider. When you withdraw everything, um, you get immediately more money. But then if you live past a certain age, mm -hmm. you will be uh, better off with, with the rent. So I mean, every case is uh, is is different. But what what's mm -hmm. like first things I'm looking for is mm -hmm. tax havens, mm -hmm. funny structures, mm -hmm. um, shelf companies, something which is empty. There is no economic rationale. Mm -hmm. uh, there is no substance. Mm -hmm. These are the things that I well, uh, a tax haven in a place where you. Where actually have activity and the company is going for a number of years is completely mm -hmm. different than an offshore company set up one month prior to arriving to Portugal, or even an onshore company used to requalify capital put together before coming to Portugal. That's that may be a no-no. Mm -hmm. I mean, so it depends. Very okay, gotcha. uh, various <laughs> traps yeah. that we need to anticipate. Fantastic, thank you. Last but not least. What is, I understand that nobody has a crystal ball, nobody. But what is your what is your gut instinct about the future of what well, we spoke about the NHR, but the golden visa program? What what yeah. is your sense of is is it going to continue to be more and more limited, or would it just come to an abrupt halt, or would it be sustained where it is? What are your thoughts? I would say it's going to be sustained at it is. If I would, okay. if I would be a betting man, I would say there has been a lot of discussion over it. Some of the arguments, the the features of the I'm not an immigration expert, as you know, but the features of the program slightly changed, and I think there are maybe two arguments to attack the golden visa. First mm -hmm. is housing problems, mm -hmm. which I think now that argument. Um, fails to exist because your the investment can no longer be in real estate exactly. so it's fine mm -hmm. and the second argument is safety reasons mm -hmm. so we are afraid to allow people to circulate within the Schengen area mm -hmm. maybe that will be uh, an argument to pursue mm -hmm. i'm not overly convinced about that because what i think is that if that visa is that model of visa is creating the, the golden visa is an investment visa. That's yep. it. Mm -hmm. If that is creating problems, then you just have to be more demanding as to the verification of certain requirements. And I don't mm -hmm. think it's necessary to win the program. Regarding the NHR, I don't know if this is um, wishful thinking or mm -hmm. an, uh, a balanced um, assessment. I... If I would have to bet, I would say that there will be some, I, I would say that something will change, but I'm not completely convinced that the program will end in, in the end of the year. Okay. Something will change, mm -hmm. but either a transitional, uh, something will change, but either a longer transitional period seems a perfectly reasonable ask for people mm -hmm. that were already processed uh, a transitional period, at least for people that uh, try to apply for the visas and hasn't completed the program yet, the process yet, mm -hmm. or uh, for reinvesting, reinvesting 
and, and setting the um, your address in specific areas of the country, mm -hmm. it makes no sense for me to completely end the program. Uh, I don't. I don't like to question political decisions. I mean, therefore, the politicians. It's fine, yeah. but yeah. from a technical standpoint, it doesn't make sense to me to end it abruptly. Mm -hmm. And I would see a lot of litigation in the future because there are some. I mean, it's just unfair if you want to be uh, mm -hmm. like uh, the, the voice of the people is very unfair. But from a technical standpoint, mm -hmm. there are expectations of taxpayers that are being um, uh, jeopardized by this abrupt end of the program. But let's see. Uh, I'm I'm not uh, I'm not convinced yet. But let's see. Maybe we mm -hmm. can chat again beginning of year yeah. and, and see. <laughs> The way find. things are going right now, and when we speak next year, the whole world may be quite different yeah. from the way it is right now because world events are quite dramatic right now. Leonardo, thank you so much for sharing your time, your expertise, your insight. If thank someone you, wanted to reach you and to, you know to engage your firm services, what's the best way to find you? Just drop me an email. I'm on online. My email is uh, if you if you just. With my email and Miranda on Google, I'm sure uh, I will appear. Just drop me an email. The easiest way is just to drop me an mm -hmm. email directly. Yeah. Okay. So again, Leonardo Marcos dos Santos and Miranda Law Firm is the one that you're going to be yeah. looking for. And Miranda. it'll pop up in Google. All right. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you very Have much for having me there. Thank you. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. So if you're a six, seven, or eight-figure investor, entrepreneur, or business owner who needs a tailor-made solution from a qualified team of professionals, we can help you achieve the international lifestyle, the freedom, and even the tax savings you're looking for. Visit us at htj.tax and live that international life.